Hello, it's Wayne Perry, the TV carpenter here. Can I ask you a question? Are you a DIY doer? Meaning, do you like DIY? Do you like fixing the things in your home? Or does it frighten you and you'd rather somebody else did it, like your other half, or you paid somebody to come and do it? The reason I'm asking the question is, it's either one or the other. People don't realise anyone can be a DIY doer. And for, for me, when I say that, I don't mean the big jobs. I don't mean putting up shelves. I don't mean laying laminate flooring. For me, DIY is about having a safe house for you and your family. So when I say safe, knowing how the smoke alarm works and why does it beep or knowing how to turn your water off if your house is flooding or if the fuse trips and your electrics go out, knowing what all the buttons on the fuse board do. So that's a safe home. I think everyone should have that. Everyone should have a practical home, meaning everything should work as it should. So if your curtain tracks falls out the wall, you know how to put it on. Or if your toilet seat breaks, you know how to change it. But also I think everyone should have a beautiful home, knowing what paint types to use, knowing how to upcycle some furniture. If you would like a safe, practical and beautiful home, Let me teach you the DIY around it. All you need to do is join the DIY Doers Facebook group. You can find it on Facebook or you can go to my website, thetvcarpenter.com and I'll link you straight through to there. Let me help you create a safe, beautiful and practical home for you and your family. On today's show, I chat with horticulturalist, presenter and garden designer, Mark Lane. We're all lovely in horticulture. And it's one of the things I must say, which, you know, you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter where you go in the country. When you start talking about plants, everybody, even if they are a competitor, will want to impart their knowledge to you because that's what gardening is. You know, it's everybody sharing their stories and their skills and their tips. Um, And... Yes, of course, there's a competition going on in the background, but actually, people will help out. Hello, and welcome to the TV Carpenter podcast with me, your host, Wayne Perry. This is a podcast where I interview my friends from the world of interior design and garden makeover shows, all with the aim of inspiring you to create your dream home. A huge thank you has to go to Thorndown Paints for sponsoring this podcast. And while I was chatting with Mark Lane, I asked him to have a look through the Thorndown colour chart to pick out some paints that jumped out at him. And what was really interesting, because he's a garden designer, he chooses colour all the time, especially when picking plants, but also choosing colours which will emphasise the colours of the plants. And this is what he had to say. Well, I'm torn now because there's some lovely vibrant colours and then there's some nice cool colours. So what should I go for? Um, I love the names, especially on the Somerset Heritage range. I love the Waterberry, great name. Absolutely love that. Um, and then I like things like the tree lichen, the, uh, the ebor stone. So quite earthy, quite natural colours for me. And for me, I think for me, especially if I'm putting it in like a garden setting. I like the idea of matching the colours that they match your harder landscaping. So whether you've got whatever stone it might be, but also things like the waterberry, which is quite a nice sort of dark grey with a sort of almost a purpley back tone to it, would look great sort of on a fence with planting in front of it because the green would really be set off 
and so would colours be set off against that. But then on the other, on the reverse, on the flip side, if, if I'm thinking of a garden to really enliven me, I really love the rowan berry red, the uh, fox whelp red, the sundover orange, and the purple divine. And I just think, you know, but if you always put colour like that into a garden, every time you go out there, you're just going to have a smile on your face and it's going to lift your mood instantly. So if you would like to have a smile on your face when looking out of your garden, you can go to thorndown.co.uk. And if you'd like a smile on your face because it saves you 15% discount, you can put in the code TVCARPENTER and take full advantage of that. So go to thorndown.co.uk, put in the code the TV Carpenter, receive the discount, and there you'll have a smile on your face. It seems that everywhere I turn... I am reminded that Chelsea Flower Show is just around the corner. <laughs> this week has been a prep week for Chelsea. I've got lots going on with Lynn um, as we're building the garden again for Gardena, um, which will be, I think we opens the end of mid 20 something of May. Um, so I'm preparing lots in my workshop but something really exciting happened um, this week for a friend of mine if you've looked on my social you will know that I'm a big fan of a trade swap and years ago I did a trade swap with a phenomenal artist a sculpturist called Kezia Burt now I've been a big fan of hers and I think her work is insane she's even done portraits of the queen and now the king and she I got her on Alan Titchmarsh a couple of weeks back. We were on the same show together and she came down and showed her the sculptures that she'd done of the royal family. But also she showed, you know, some of her own work and she ended up sculpting Alan, Alan Titchmarsh. And it's amazing. She did it on air, which was insane. And Kezia messaged me last week. She rang me all like panicked and excited because from the, Ch- from, um, the Alan Titchmarsh show, someone at Chelsea who uh, me and Lynn had put her in touch with as well, um, really loved her bust of the king and have offered, there's going to be a, a royal garden and they want her bust of the king centre front in the garden. So she's like screaming, going insane. And there's a possibility that King Charles might actually be at Chelsea Flower Show looking at a bust of his head of what she's created. You know, when you just like someone is so amazing and just like so talented and she's only just started doing sculpture about five, six years ago. She's a military wife and, you know, looked after children and just started to go, do you know, I want to do this as a career and has just gone insane. So I'm super proud of my friend. And what's really lovely is I'm going to get to see her work at Chelsea and go to see the garden where her sculpture is going to be there. And won't it just be insane? Like we say, if the king's there next to his his head that she's created from photos, just be amazing. Um, but yes, Chelsea, everything Chelsea. So my next guest is Mark Lane. Mark Lane is a TV presenter and a horticulturalist and a garden designer. I work with Mark on BBC Morning Live. He's the gardening expert and I'm the DIY expert. And what's really lovely is over the years, last year we did a gardening segment together where I'd build raised beds and then he'd plant them. And we're doing something similar this year um, called uh, called Let It Grow. Um, so it was only inevitable that I was going to get Mark on and he didn't disappoint this interview was so lovely so his story to becoming a garden designer is 
like mind boggling and and what he's achieved in the time that he's become a garden designer is even more insane so this is the main event this is me chatting with the garden designer and presenter mark lane mark lane thank you for coming on the tv carpenter podcast thank you very much Wayne. i'm looking forward to it so I've been researching you and, and discovered that you, you like to play the flute. Now, I'm intrigued to know if BBC Morning Live asked you to play a flute solo, could you do it? Probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. It has been a while since I picked it up. Um, but, yeah, I think I could. I think yeah. I could. I think I've still got the embrasure. I think. Yeah. In the um, yeah. My wife plays the flute as well years ago. And like, uh, you, things, you just get it out and go... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. I'm not entirely sure. I think I probably could be able to play it. Yeah, it'd be good to do. It'd be nice to do. I mean, it, it's there. It's sitting there. Every time I look at it, I think I need to pick it up and play it, but I never do. So, um, so yeah, how, how, like, how, to what level did you get then on the flute? Uh, grade eight and above. Um, so uh, I did a solo at the South Bank many, many, many years ago. Um and yeah, it's just one of those things. I just always loved it. Uh, did it at school, did it for the county, did it at uh, university. Um, always ended up being principal flautist, which was fun because uh, you always got solos. Um, and then uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was just sort of I suppose work gets in the way, and you sort of start forgetting about your musical instruments, which is a real shame, actually. I always, I always love it because as as um, BBC, obviously we work together on BBC Morning Live, and yeah. all the experts, whether it's the doctors or the cooks or all the guest presenters or even your know, Gethin plays the violin, we've all we've all got like little hidden talents. There's all stuff going on, isn't there? Amongst us, was, I'm after, sure we could form an orchestra. We could. <laughs> and who was it who played the guitar on on Children of Need Day? Um, Mark, all, Mark, all right. Uh, we, my, my, yeah, yeah. We were in the loft, and he got his banjo out, and we were, we were all singing karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre, isn't it? Really strange. I love it. I love it. Yeah, but, uh, me too. You know, I know you as, as as a gardener from BBC Morning Live and all the other garden shows, and we're, we're going to touch on all of that. But um, you didn't originally train as a gardener. What 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 did you originally train as? What 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 was your university years like? Ah, so I, uh, I went to university and did history of art. And at the time, it was either going to be music or it was going to be history of art. And history of art won the day. Uh, and the whole idea was that I was going to become an auctioneer, actually. Um, and uh, got the final year at uni. And uh, we had a like a careers day. And we had a horticultural therapist come along, an auctioneer. Um, Two people who were sort of just private art collector buyer things, um, and uh, I had I felt really sorry for this horticultural therapist because I just kept watching, looking not horticultural art therapist, sorry, and kept looking at her. No one was talking to her, so I went over to her, started chatting to her, and I thought, my God, this may be something that I might want to do because uh, one of my um, final essays was on. Uh, the psychotherapy of art and I was got really fascinated about all of that side of it um so I obviously as you do when you're in the final year you don't really know what, exactly what you're going to go and do um so I applied to go to auctioneer school there is such a thing it was really? down in Southampton yeah <laughs> um and I got I got a place on the um on the course which was good 
Um, and then I also applied to become an art therapist, and I got on the course for that. And then just out of the blue, and I think it was mainly because of the fact that, you know, you spent all your money, you're, you're completely broke, uh, you're not entirely sure what you're going to do. And I started applying to jobs. And one of the publishing houses is that I wrote off to um, offered me a job. And I thought, oh, okay. And the only reason why I thought about publishing was because my dad was uh, a technical author for the MOD. And we, I was just surrounded by books, the whole, you know, whenever I grew up. Um, so I always thought maybe, maybe it was something to do with that. And I'm not entirely sure. But it was in medical publishing, which was a bit odd for me. I know, I know, completely odd. Um, and uh, within a year, I, I, I became the editor of obstetrics and gynecology, um, <laughs> urology, psychiatry, and neurosurgery. Um, obviously, topics I had no idea anything about. Uh, but then after about three years, um, no, three and a half years, I got to the point, especially with the um, OBGYN, I got absolutely fascinated by, by fertility and in vitro fertilization. And I was actually correcting the authors. And I thought, hang on a minute, I'm not medically trained. And I don't know if I should be doing this job anymore. This didn't feel right. It really didn't feel right. Um, and then I was actually headhunted to go and be uh, an editor, an art publisher, which was lovely. Um, and so I did, because obviously back to my art history days. Um, and then I went back to medical publishing for another five years. Some strange, I don't, don't know, but really weird, really weird. And then finally, uh, I went to become the publishing director for the Royal Institute of British Architects. And then I was headhunted again to become the managing editor at Thames and Hudson. So yep. publishing was then my, you know, it was my world, and I absolutely loved it. And was it still print, Hudson, was it still print copy then at that point? Very much, yeah, very much so. Um, so and seventeen. Hempton Hudson was lovely because it was all that sort of really glossy coffee table book, really sort of highly high production on it, a lot of money spent on them. And uh, because it was a, because they're an art publisher in general, um, I had loads of their books, you know, when I was at university. And it was fascinating because we had a, a safe down in the um, basement. And I used to just go down there and I'd be going through pictures and drawings by David Hockney, by uh, all, just loads and loads of artists and sculptors. It was just astonishing. Um, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And then, of course, my accident happened, and I had to rethink my life a little bit. So when you say accident, we spoke about it, and you spoke about it really openly on, on BBC Morning Live, which I thought was yeah. amazing. And I remember messaging you after it going, wow, yeah, that's stunning. Um, for my listener, um, explain to my listener what, what happened regarding your accident. Yeah, so, um, it was one of those days when, you know, you've got home and there's a little card through your door to say that you've missed a delivery. And I thought, okay, no worries. And I said to my other half, oh, I'll go the next day and I'll, I'll go and pick it up. And I did. And on the way back, um, there, there was this stretch of road in Kent uh, near to where we lived. Um, it was about 60 miles an hour. And the car in front of me suddenly decided to turn into a lay-by because there was like a, one of those burger van places there. Mm -hmm. Suddenly turned in. So the, another car in front just slammed on their brakes. 
I started to brake and then saw this car just hurtling towards me in the rearview mirror um, and realized suddenly that it wasn't going to stop. So it came straight into the back, pushed me straight into the car in front. Fortunately, if I can say fortunately, um, there was a police car actually in the lay-by because they were getting their lunch. And they saw the whole thing and called for an uh, ambulance immediately. Um, And yeah, so I was completely pinned between two cars. Um, At the time, I was sort of going in and out of consciousness, um, had a lot of pain, but also numbness, which was really odd sensation. Very, very strange. Um, And then just felt very, very cold. Always felt very, very cold. And then obviously the uh, ambulance came along, the paramedics came along. And um, I just remember this lovely woman and she just held my hand and she just favored me the whole time. And she just kept talking to me. And of course, you know, she was distracting me while they were trying to get me out of the cars. Um, And then was rushed off at that point to uh, a hospital in Kent. And then almost about probably, well, it seemed like a day, but I think it was only like a few hours. Um, I was then rushed off to Stanmore at the Royal Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore um, to their spinal unit, which, you know, you then suddenly start realising that there's something going on. Um, And, yeah, so I was then in hospital in rehabilitation as well for 18 months in total, um, so a long time. Um, And you go through all those, as I mentioned on the programme, you go through all those stages of grief, not really accepting it. You know, I I was crying into my pillow every single night, um, screaming a lot of the time. But one of the great things that um, Stanmore was, you almost had like a buddy system. So other patients who had sort of like maybe a little few steps ahead of where you may have been, um, would come around and start talking to you and sort of just sort of say, what the processes were and how you would feel and all this. And that was really, really helpful. Um, and then I did it as well in my sort of later couple of months that I was there to other people. Mm-hmm. And it was just lovely because it just meant that, you know, you can just help out other people. And there were loads of people coming through. Um, and, yeah, it just meant that, unfortunately, I ended up in a wheelchair. But so for, my list, for my listener, yeah, yeah. how 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 uh, was it paralyzed at you? How how like how, so, how damage was done? My legs, yeah, my legs and my feet are are paralyzed. So uh, no feeling down there. I still get spasms and you know all that sort of things. So the legs will suddenly jerk out sometimes, um, and there's still a lot of swelling still around my lower part of my spine, um, but. Uh, you know, medication helps, um, and a little bit of exercise helps as well. So how, tricky, how, long, how long ago was that? Now then, so how long have you? So that was that was twenty twenty, but it all sort of was around. No, sorry, two thousand okay. odd years ago. Um, so it was a long time ago now. Um, so I was only in my thirties when it happened, um, and I thought, oh, you know, where am I going to go after this? Is there any? Is there going to be any, you know, light at the end of the tunnel? Um, unfortunately, there was. It was gardening for me. So, did you, you know, did you think about staying in your original career though? Could you have stayed doing publishing? I did. No, I did actually. Yeah, my publishing house were incredible. They kept my job open, um, and I did do a trial stint of a couple of months going up and down to London, and it was just too much. It was way too much, and 
I just said, look, I'm really sorry, I can't do this anymore. And they were lovely. They just said, well, maybe you'd like to do stuff, you know, from home. And I said, maybe, but I said, maybe this is a wake-up call. Maybe I need to just do something completely different yeah. um, and retrain and do something else. You know, and it's sometimes, you know, you need a little kick like that to sort of make you change. Um, the way I wouldn't say that was going. a little kick, Mark. I'd say that's a big old... No, well, you know, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, a large kick, a large kick. Um, but, you know, and I've said this to you and I've said it to other people, in a strange way, though, what's happened has actually really helped me and I think my life is better now than it was before. Yeah. Because I know it sounds odd because I'm yeah. in a wheelchair, but actually it really has. Um, and it's opened up, you know, new opportunities. Uh, I'm always learning. I'm always having fun. Um, and, you know, that's what it's all about. You're, you're the most positive person I know. And I, I, I hope you won't mind me telling this story, but when we were at um, Children in Need, um, for, yeah. uh, um, Red Nose uh, Comic Relief, sorry, we were laughing and you had these amazing shoes on that lit up and, <laughs> up and all yeah. that lot. Yeah. And I, I don't want to name names, but one of the other presenters were like, oh, they're cool. And he said to you, are they comfortable? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Because my reaction was, I wouldn't know. I can't feel them. <laughs> There's loads of little things like that happen all the time. Like we've got WhatsApp groups. Oh, so you weren't well yeah. or something. And so it's like, oh, you, you yeah. get back on your feet soon. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, Wayne, that's, what, that's the one reason why I love the Morning Live a lot. Because, you know, everyone just treats me like a normal person and we all just have a laugh and you know you've got to you can't take it too seriously because if you do take it too seriously then life's going to be miserable yeah um so you know and yeah all the time i mean you know i had it the other day when someone just said well should we walk over this way and they just looked at me with complete shock and they you know they said they said i'm so sorry for what i just said i said don't be stupid you're not going to say let's wheel over there are we and they were like no oh, no i suppose not i like to saying that you've got the most the coolest chair it's like a Segway, and every time it you, you troll it out when we're at a party we're all, you're dancing on the dance floor with it just using your stomach muscles and we're just like exactly. i want to get involved on that one <laughs> i think we you all can't get me off the dance floor <laughs> so uh, we've got we've got off topic because we're just laughing about the our craziness of our friends on the show but obviously like you yeah. said you you discovered gardening how did you discover gardening then like you know from going from these jobs and being in rehabilitation for 18 months where did yeah. the gardening seed come from uh i mean the actual seed i suppose was sown when i was a kid um so my grandparents had a large garden and i used to of my granddad around with a little blue truck, a blunt pair of scissors, string, and packets of seed. And he taught me everything about caring for the soil, how to sow seeds, how to tie in plants, how to cut them, and all this sort of thing. And then my grandmother, she was a flower arranger. So she taught me about, you know, the color, the shape, the texture, the form, and how to put them all together. So there was always that little seed that was just sort of sown. Um, and then, of course, you know, you go through university and you don't really do anything like that. And then I uh, met my other half. Well, nearly 30 years ago now, um, uh, bought our first place and it came with a garden and I got the gardening bug then. And uh, I was actually at that point at the RIBA and I was constantly meeting sort of landscape architects as well as architects. And I became fascinated about that sort of relationship of how the uh, outdoor environment relates to the architecture and, the, you know, the building. Um, and then when I was at Thames and Hudson, we did lots of books on gardening. So I, I worked with some of the leading artists um, 
gardeners and garden designers around the world. And that was fascinating. Uh, and then when I was in the hospital, there was this incredible horticultural therapist. And she could see me staring out of the window. And she came over to me once and she just said, come on, let's get outside. And I was like, no, I don't really want to go. And she said, no, come on, I think it'll be good for you. And went out and I started planting some bulbs, sowing seeds. She was obviously checking to see how I was sitting, whether I was twisting or turning or whatever I was doing in the chair. And, you know, for for that sort of half an hour that I was out there with her, I was forgetting about everything that had happened. And I was just literally focused on that moment with the gardening. Um, And then uh, that sort of continued throughout the whole of the rehabilitation. And then when we got home, when I got home eventually, I could always see the garden from my bedroom. And Jason, my hubby, just said, come on, let's go out one day. And he took me out. And I just remember, and it was really was like a light bulb moment. And I was just sitting out there and I could feel the sun on my face, you know, the wind on my cheek. And I was just transfixed by the colour of these flowers. And for those for that 10 minutes, I wasn't in pain. Uh, my breathing had slowed down. My heart rate had slowed down. I was relaxed. My shoulders had dropped. And I thought, my God, there's something in this. Uh, and then Jason said, look, why don't you do something with your background? You know, you've got an RT background. You like plants. Um, I seem to have this had all the way throughout this sort of encyclopedic brain for just absorbing information about plants, which is really strange. Um, and I, he said, why don't you just put it all together and do something with it? And I thought, no, oh, maybe. I didn't really think about much of it. Um, and then I just started looking online and saw garden design courses. And I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe there could be something here. And of course, you know, Back then, in the early noughties, um, there wasn't a wheelchair garden designer. There still isn't another one other than me. And that was like a red rag for me because it meant I then had to go and prove to people that actually you could still do this job and enjoy it. And it was just, it's just through that and just obviously gardening myself and doing and learning as you do. And then, fortunately, getting onto Gardeners World and learning even more when I was at Gardeners World. And it was, just one of those lovely moments and yeah it's um it's always been there i suppose that lovely love of plants and gardens and it all just came together in a natural way amazing what was your you know you've, you've got marklanedesigns.com is your website for your garden designs what was yeah. your first paid garden that you got to do do you remember that yeah that's a good one because obviously when you first start you know friends and family beg you to do their garden for free you do it for the portfolio, um, was, I'll do it for exposure and take a picture. Yeah, of it. exactly, exactly. It was a small family garden um, and they had a dog and they wanted an outdoor office. They wanted sort of nice abundant borders, a nice seating area where they would have a, a, a log burner or a fire pit or something or other. Um, and they also had this huge, huge magnolia tree in the garden. and. Um, they didn't know what to do with that, whether to leave it or not. And so I just created this sort of lovely space where there was a lot of, sort of a dry garden around the magnolia base, um, a sort of large seating area that led off on the back of the house, big lawn, uh, and then a nice seating area at the back of the garden with the office. And I just realized when I did it that obviously, yes, I'd been paid for it, which was lovely. Um, but 
I'd re- suddenly realized, oh, crikey, O'Reilly, you know, I've just done a garden for someone and I've, I've only recently, you know, trained and passed. Are they going to come back in a few years' time and say, Mark, we absolutely hate it. What have you done? Um, and uh, But they didn't. They actually came back and they said, uh, obviously, our, our children have now got older and we now want to adapt the garden a little bit more. Can you come and do a little bit more with it? And it was okay. lovely because then it meant, you know, it, I think that just showed me that, you know, you can create these lovely magical spaces for people to use. And, you know, hopefully they'll use them for many years to come. And if they do, they'll get many years of joy out of it. Yeah. And that, to me, was everything. I think as well, when I, when I first swapped over from my acting to doing carpentry and DIY for people, mm. It's that thing of being paid for it. Like, you know, you you do things. I remember I was doing this one job and I almost, <laughs> like, I was there longer and, and I, I invoiced them and they were like, this isn't enough. You were here so many more days than you've invoiced. Because you, you're almost scared to to do, yeah. you know, to, to, you don't know your worth yet. Do you know what I mean? They were like, oh my no, God, you, you totally transformed our house. Like, yeah. I, I know they paid me extra than I invoiced. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, you do, you sort of get, you get that sort of imposter syndrome, I suppose. But then, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they probably, I mean, I can't even remember what my fee was there, but they probably got me at a very, very cheap rate. Um, but but why not? You know, it was my first one and I was learning. Um, and it was a great, great sort of um, learning base because obviously I was working with a new contractor, so I was getting to know how they were working. Um, and just starting to make these lovely relationships both with clients and with sculptors, you know, craftsmen and women and everything else that's going to create in the garden, which is lovely. So you're on every TV show. You, you like, you, you're, worse, you're worse than me. You get around a bit. So I want to know, what was your first television? First television? Oh, that was, uh, I was, I was, oh, what was it? Oh, yeah. So I was asked to go to Chelsea. So I'd written an article for Gardener's World magazine, which had been seen by one of the researchers. And it was just perfect timing when some edict from above in the BBC came around saying we need to broaden the uh, presenter skills, uh, presenter lineup on Gardener's World. And I, I, I got this phone call from, a, from the researcher and eventually was invited up to Chelsea Flower Show. Not to do really any main presenting it was i was interviewed by monty um just to talk about my story because it was you know talking about health and well-being in garden um and then uh they were obviously happy with it and they said would you mind just doing a little bit of presenting work on this one garden i said yeah of course i will uh did it and then uh got back to the compound the bbc compound and the exec producer said loved it uh would you want to do hampton court and I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and then they said, I did Hampton Court. And then they said, would you want to do some Gardens World stuff? And I said, yeah, okay. Um, and um, that's how it all started. I love it. I, I love that. Uh, and I, I've, I'm at the moment, we were talking just before we started recording that I'm in the process of prepping for Chelsea this year. And I did it last year. Yeah. It's not very wheelchair friendly as Chelsea. So how, no, how it's, awful. it's awful. And even to the point that when I was designing my garden last year, I purposely put a ramp in it because I know you. Yeah. I need to have a ramp. Yeah. So yeah. Um, how do you get around that? Considering you are the, like you say, as far as we know, you're the only uh, wheelchair user gardener. 
Um, yeah. Is it getting more accessible, or how does it work when you're work when you're presenting at these shows? It's tricky because I mean, uh, the BBC compound is hidden up this very very steep hill away from everything. And um, the first time I went, I was in a manual wheelchair with just like a a bike attachment to the front of the bike of the wheelchair, and it was fine. I could ground, but it wasn't that easy. Um, and it then made it very clear that I had to get something a bit meatier, and that's when I actually got the Segway. And the Segway then just allowed me to go up sort of curbs, go me up ramps, and all, anywhere really I need to go, and also up this very steep hill to the BBC compound. Um, it is tricky. I mean, obviously, you know, Chelsea, the space is very, very tight. So there's only so much that they can actually do. But the thing that annoys me the most, I suppose, is the fact that there's already, you know, roads in there, but they put down all this metal track and then they put down these really awful tarmac little ramps to get you off these um, this track. And those ramps are really steep. And I mean, I'm okay in my segue, but I see so many sort of, especially elderly people being pushed in their wheel- manual wheelchairs trying to go down these ramps and they can't do it. Yeah. Um, and it is it is tricky, but then you sort of accept the fact that you know this is a, a restricted space. Um, you know, there's only so much they can do because it's not like they own it. You know, and the RHS basically just rent that space. Um, but I think you know it's a shame also that the the shop you know down underneath all the trees they're all up two or three steps, especially as you get down towards the bottom end, and not many of them have a ramp. Yeah. Um, so obviously ramps help, um, but you know it's also. I mean, I'm lu- I'm lucky because I'm able to go on the garden, but it's even sometimes quite tricky getting onto the garden. Mainly I was going to say that, that as well because obviously you'll present on some of them. So obviously you've got yeah. Main Avenue, and then you've got um, some smaller gardens at the side. And I saw you last yeah. year in and amongst it all. So yeah. did did you have did they wreck it for you to go? This is a garden that we yeah. can get mark on. Do they carry you on? Yeah. And- because it's made it's, no, the gardens are designed that you don't walk through them so no one's ever meant to go on there unless you're presenting with barefoot kind of thing normally you know no. so do they prep it in preparation for you coming yeah they do so the researchers they know exactly you know how high i can go up on the segway so they go and look at the materials they go and look at the width of the pathway whether or not there's an obstacle in the way of you know if you're going around something um and then Every time that I turn up, I normally turn up sort of the Sunday before press day, and then I go around with the researcher and we look at the space and we make sure that I can get on there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's a shame because there are, you know, there have been many gardens that I would love to have got onto and just couldn't get onto. Um, and I mean, I, I probably could if someone lifted me, you know, you know, a bit like, you know, huge chair on top of some large planks of wood or something lifted up above <laughs> the crowd. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it is a shame from that point of view that I can't get on all of them. But um it's it's interesting. I mean, over the last couple of years, more of the gardens have been designed with accessibility in mind. Um so and I mean you can't always because I mean if you're doing a, a naturalistic wild rewilding garden, you know. You can't have these hard landscape pathways and everything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, and I'm, you know, me, I am I go along with the flow and I, I work on whatever I can work on, really. Yeah. Out of all the, um, the, the shows, obviously Chelsea starts the whole plethora of, of all the garden shows. 
which are your favourites at the garden shows? I love Chelsea uh, purely because it is sort of the pinnacle of horticulture. I do wish, though, here in the UK we had there's one there's a, a, sh- a flower show in France um, where they really push the boundaries of garden design, and I would like to see a show like that over here in the UK because I think we are quite safe here in the UK with what we do. Um, but I love Chelsea because of that. Hampton Court I really love because it's just so vast and open, which makes it easier for getting around. Um, but I, I like Tatton, and I think it's because Tatton sort of feels a bit like a, a country fate come flower show. Yeah. And it's much more informal, very relaxed. Uh, and, yeah, it just feels so much nicer. But for me, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love all the show gardens and all that sort of thing. I love it all. Uh, but I like talking to the growers. Um, so I'm constantly in the floral marquee talking to the growers. And I love that. Obviously, you see plants that aren't in season and there they are looking absolutely incredible. And you think, how on earth have they done that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And that's where Chelsea, again, I suppose, is the best thing because it really does show off the magnificence of flowers. And you were saying there for the growers, if people haven't um, been to Chelsea, there's the big marquee mm. area where there'll be someone who'll just specialise in bonsai plants. And they will literally, yeah. it's like its like they're, they're a, a farmer's show and showing their, their prized cattle. At that moment, yeah. every bloom is opened within an inch of its life. And it's all its all for that moment. Like you say, its not it shouldn't even be blooming at that point, but they've done it for that no. They get judged and they get, you know, they get their awards as well. And it, and I remember going just like being enthralled, like that, like if you walk through the roses and they're just like yeah. the smell of the roses of like hundreds of roses all opened at the same time, and you're like, oh, yeah, phenomenal. It's an art. It's a real, real art. I mean, you know, they keep they keep flowers back in the cold, in the dark. Uh, they put hair dryers on them to bring them and open at the right time. They they do so many things. But I think, you know, it just shows the skill of the grower. It really does. It really does. So you'll, you'll know this um, more than me because the kind of garden that I do at Chelsea is a trade stand. So I, I work for a company and I, and every, anyone who exhibits there has to have their own garden as part of their selling their wares. But obviously, if yep. you could do – explain to my listener what's the process – um because you you'll you know this if if you wanted a garden at chelsea how do you yep. go about getting a garden at chelsea and, and what's the process to to apply to get a garden so what you do uh there's a couple of approaches you can do so you can go through a charity called project giving back and they give out a certain amount of money each year to a certain number of gardens so you have to go through a whole process of submitting your design, getting it all, you know, if they like it or not, go and do a presentation to them. Uh, and if they say yes, then you'll go through. Or you can go directly to the RHS and you can submit a design. Now, you would do that sort of around autumn, the autumn of the following year. So you would do it the autumn of the following year. And then you've got until the end of the year for the judges to go through that design, because obviously they get thousands. They go through the design, they look at them, um, they pull out the ones that they think might be really interesting, might be a little bit different. You know, are they using different materials, different plants, all this sort of thing. And then at the end, sort of at the end of the year, towards the beginning of the new year, you're then invited again to do a presentation to the RHS. Uh, and then you have to go through two lots of presentations. It's, it's a whole process. It really is. 
So you do your main design of what the garden's going to look like. You have to do the planting design exactly of how the plants are going to be. Um, and if you decide to, between your first submission to, you know, getting off to become hopefully signed off and then yes, you, you can go in ahead to the show, if you make one single tiny change, you have to do a whole set of new drawings. So it, it's an absolute nightmare, really is, from that point of view. Um, and so you basically you go through, and then the biggest problem is finding a sponsor. That's the biggest problem, because the show gardens at Chelsea can cost half a million pounds easily. Wow. Um, it's a lot of money. I know, it's a lot of money. Um, Project Giving Back will normally give around about 300, 350,000 towards the garden. Um, so sometimes they get that and then they might have to bump the price up a little bit with another sponsor. A lot of the time, you know, designers are borrowing and stealing wherever they can. Not really, but, you know, they're asking growers and they're asking material suppliers, you know, do, would you sponsor us by giving us your materials or giving us a plant, whatever it might be. Um, so you should try and keep those costs down. The RHS have also, uh, in the last about three years, introduced, which I think is brilliant, is the fact that every show garden now has to have a second life. So it has to go on somewhere after the show, whether it's you know, a, you know, a hospital garden or off to a charity or whatever. So you then eventually get to that point where sort of around about now, you would have been told that, yes, you've been accepted and you're going to go and do a Chelsea garden. And then, I mean, no, sorry, a little bit before that, a little bit before that. So around about sort of February, March time, where are we now, May? Um, and then, yeah, and their people are in there now doing the build, um, ready for the show in the third week of May. And it's um, on for five and it's days. Madness. <laughs> for five. five days. Five days. I know it's it's crazy. It's it's it 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 is astonishing. But as I said earlier, it is the pinnacle of horticulture. So it has to be perfect. I mean, to the point that, you know, even you've got to fluff the soil. It's got to be really, really nice, fine tilth, as they call it. Um, you know, the plants, again, have to be tip-top condition, not a dead leaf in sight. Uh, the materials have to be done properly. You're, you know, if you're using grouting or whatever it might be, the grouting has to be dead on. Or if there are lines that meet other lines, that they are meet at the right point, it, you know, it's it's astonishing and it's all judged then on this sort of point score point system uh and then you would get a bronze a silver silver gilt and gold and everyone of course tries and goes for a gold and it's a great opportunity for the sponsors because obviously they will meet a new clientele maybe um it's a great way for them also to sort of just tell everybody about their company or their organization or charity um, so, you know, I think the viewers get something out of it, the sponsors get something out of it, the designers, the contractors, the growers all get something out of it. Um, it's just one of those magical times of the year, really. Would you like to do a show garden? I would. Um, I, I've actually just missed out on some funding for oh. next year. I know. I went through all the rigmarole um, and I got down to the last 50 out of 5,000 entries and uh but saying that um there's another route which i'm hope i'm trying to go down at the moment um see if i can do it for next year uh, i am designing a garden for hampton court this year um which is the bbc morning live garden wow. um so I'm, des I'm designing that um 
So that means we'll be starting building there early June, uh, ready for the show in early July. Um, so yeah, I would like to do a Chelsea garden, um, but I would want to do a Chelsea garden that is fully inclusive, accessible, um, and sustainable and environmental to try and compass all of that somehow. Um, the design I did for the one that I proposed um, was a sort of a woodland setting with lots and lots of water going on um, and uh, a very huge piece of sculpture that weaved itself throughout all the trees. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, no, didn't get it. Next time, next, next time. Next time, next time. Just, just, exactly. It's just amazing that you're you're putting yourself through that, considering, you know, you know, you, you know, you started late into gardening, and here you are talking yeah. about potentially having a garden at Chelsea. I just think that's that's amazing. It's amazing. Well, I think you know that's it's the lovely thing about any of the show gardens is the fact that you can be a beginner designer or gardener, or you can be a really seasoned one, and if you've got a good design and people really like it, then there's no reason why you can't do it. Even if you, I mean, there've been people who have done, especially Hampton Court and Tappan, and they've literally just passed getting their diploma, uh, and they've done a and they've done a show garden. And of course, it's great experience for them. I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that you know, because me being a presenter on the show, I know how the gardens are put together. I know who the people you talk to. I know what needs to be done from a contractor's point of view. Um, but of course, if you've never done any of that, then it's a complete, you know, very scary. Uh, but everyone says that it's very scary, but it's an experience that they will never forget. It's it's and also from my experience of working on it last year, it's one of the most mm. friendliest places. Like yeah. everybody loves every, everyone knows everybody, but not in a cliquey mm-hmm. way. Everyone's after the same thing of doing an amazing garden, and everyone's there just with a sm- in the pissing rain, but smiling in the you know <laughs> with it with themselves. I love. We're that. all lovely. We're all lovely in horticulture, and I, it's one of the things I must say. Which you know, th- you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter where you go in the country when you start talking about plants. Everybody, even if they are a competitor, will want to impart their knowledge to you because that's what gardening is you know it's everybody sharing their stories and their skills and their tips um and yes of course there's a competition going on in the background but actually people will help out and even on the chelsea show gardens there's been instances when one of the show gardens may have been falling behind and the people next to them who may have finished said hang on a minute we'll get our contractor and they'll come and help you yeah you know and that's what it's like everyone that's what, in that's what i think is lovely um, yeah, you, you know, you become a huge success. Like I say, you're, you're everywhere um, on on everything. Um, and I want to talk about QVC. Um, and I love <laughs> the fact that that you know it's a shopping channel, but they've made a whole th- a department around you. So t- tell us about the QVC gig then. <laughs> yeah, so QVC the shopping network. I never in my month on Sundays thought I'd ever be on there, but um, it all it all happened during lockdown. Uh, and I was approached to do it, and I didn't know whether I wanted to or not. And I remember talking to one of the suppliers who's um, got two royal warrants uh, for the plants that they grow, uh, really well respected in the industry, but they sell on QVC. And I thought, mm, maybe I'll have a chat with them. I had a chat with them about it, and they just said, Mark, do it. You will love it. It's enjoyable. It's hard work, um, but you will enjoy it. And it's been incredible because. Uh, over the last few years, 
it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And we've now also doing our, we've taken over the style network as well. So we now have um, two hour special gardening programs each night on the style network as well. Um, and it's just amazing because from my point of view, I'm not there. I'm not there to sell the product. I'm there to sort of talk about the plant, how to grow it, you know, where to put it, all that sort of thing. And then hopefully we get viewers' questions coming in. I can answer those as well. Um, but I love the fact that I can talk to all the growers and find out what's coming out that year and the next year. And I love that because I've got this little inside little knowledge there. Um, and yes, of course, you know, there's, there's always going to be the very good staples of begonias and dahlias and things like that. But they're really trying to broaden the product range that we have on there, and, and which I think is great. But it's also not just about the plant. It's also about the furniture and other things that you use in the garden just to make your outdoor space uh, an enjoyable space. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's great fun. It is a lot of work. Um, there's a lot of social media on it. Um, but, yeah, it's lovely. I actually do enjoy it. But it's um, a long way to go every single week. But, you know, it is what it is. It's work, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah. But I, I love it. I did, like, just looking on- online and there's, like, your mugshot there with your own brand. <laughs> it's like you know, you've got your own slot and everything i love it <laughs> it's strange i mean it is it is lovely um and i just sort of think that you know why not at the end of the day you know since my accident i don't say no to anything i just go for it and just have fun yeah um you've also got a puppy you've got this gorgeous dog that you bring everywhere with you and and literally when we were in manchester last your other half he, like we were getting in the lift and so he didn't get trapped he literally just hoisted him up by his leg he's got a harness up is this little tiny is it yeah. a dash hound is it like a miniature a dash? miniature wired hair dash yeah oh, it's gorgeous. that's absolutely gorgeous so um i want to pick your brains about a few things now then so like if you're designing a garden with pets in mind like you're saying that like, mm. first garden you did and particularly your garden i know you potentially might have more dogs down the line as well what what are some top tips that you should think about when designing a garden with pets in mind yeah i mean it's one of the, um all i would say the first thing is just watch where your dog or your pets go in the garden so they'll always probably follow a particular route every time they go out i mean our little dude at the moment doesn't he just sort of goes out no matter where he goes, you know just whatever takes his fancy but eventually they will take this sort of same route around the garden space and that's just a good indication then to know where to put flower bed where to put pathways so you're not sort of putting a flower bed right in their path so they're going to go over it every single day um then obviously decide whether you want a certain area which is just going to be where your dog might want to go to the toilet or you might just want to have a space where it's going to be really stimulating for the dog so you've got to remember that a garden as much for you to enjoy should be enjoyable also for your pet so you want to make it as stimulating for them as well so things like swaying grasses are brilliant because they love all of that things that make sounds as well they really love um there are obviously some no-nos with regards to some plants so anything that um, I would always say that anything that is a bulb, the things like daffodils, tulips, and bluebells, sort of, and that sort of thing, try not to put them in because if dogs do dig them up, even if cats dig them up, a lot of them have arsenic in them. A lot of them can make really bad upset stomachs. They can be really, really bad gastrointestinal per- problems for dogs as well. So if you do like growing, you know, your flowers from bulbs, grow them in pots or grow them in raised beds, which is away from your pets. 
Um, then just just be mindful of the fact that things that things that have like seeds that drop down, so things like laburnums or even wisteria, aren't good for dogs. Um, there's a great list of plants. Is, is that because it gets? Sorry, is is that because it gets into their port, into their nail, but like seed? Both. It, both. It can get into the nail. It can, again, it's really bad gastrointestinally, and also some can even lead to heart problems as well in the long run. Um, but if you go, if you look on the uh, guide dogs or even on um, the Dogs Trust website, they actually list a whole load of plants that you can and can't use in the garden. Um, there's still loads you can use. You know, and obviously everyone knows about the fact you can't have lilies with cats and that sort of thing because they're, you know, really bad for them and poisonous. Um, so you just make sure you select the right plant. What I would say is if you know you've got a boisterous, especially a puppy like we have, when it comes to planting, it's probably worthwhile investing in more mature plants because it just means they're not small, they're not going to be dug up as much and maybe not chewed as much, um, which I know does add to the cost. Obviously, if you then sort of think about, you know, if you can have seating or if you can have a fire pit, make sure it's going to be safe and secure. So if your animals are out there alone, they're not going to get into any danger. Same goes if you've got any water features or ponds or anything like that. Just make sure you know that your dogs know not to go there or they're going to be fenced off. There you go. There's a few That's general uh, guidelines. And on your on your website, martlanedesign.com, you offer lots of different services. So obviously you, you've got the, the – the, and, and you have so many different – jobs that you've done on there it's like you you know you've done like uh very country kind of places but then you've got really modern places you've got you know mm. you know you, you, the plethora of designs that you've created is insane um but one of the services that i saw you offered is like a planting scheme so you, if you someone already yep. has their garden designed you can just help them with the beds and borders and i and yep. i loved it on it you can you know you, and i read upon it all you were saying it's all about form shape texture color scent and shadow now I want to know what yeah. shadow is. Tell me about all of that. Like when you're when you're designing a bed for somebody, what are your considerations yeah. and what shadow? <laughs> so basically, you know, we want to create a border that's going to have twelve months of interest first of all, and then uh, there's a great thing when it comes to designing your border that you want to have mounds and spires, and you want to have a nice mix of mounds and spires. So in other words, plants that just form these lovely nice balls and then then plants that dot you know come up right above above them nice fire plants as well like alliums yeah exactly alliums or delphiniums um foxgloves those sorts of things um then you just want to look at the plant and you want to think about as you would do if you were designing interiors you'd be looking at the materials that you would be using so you'd be looking at whether the colors go with each other you know whether or not you know, the textures of those different materials work and you're doing exactly the same with the plants. You're looking at the leaf, you're looking at the bark, you're looking at the stem, and you're just thinking, right, what colours are in that? What's the textures like? Maybe I've got to contrast a really fine filigree leaf with something that's big and solid right next to it to give that lovely sort of difference. Um, then you've also got to think about sort of the overall size of your plant. So you've got to think about if a plant is left and you're not going to really prune it and it grows, you know, in five years' time, What's that going to look like in its shape and its form compared to the other ones that are in the in the border as well? And the shadow is literally whereby at night time, especially when you put lighting in, um, is the fact that you know shadows come to life, and it's a great way of adding depth. So you can add depth. You can also make the plants come to life as well by backlighting them and getting that wonderful shadow up on walls and on rendered walls or brickwork. 
Um, but you're thinking about all of that to create that lovely sort of one border or a pot or whatever it might be, give you that 12 months of interest. Amazing. I have a a, a, plant, a plant that's just coming up now. It's a bleeding heart plant. And I got it at the Idle yeah. Home Show years ago. And I just put it in a border. And it, every year it looks like it's died. There's nothing. It goes back to nothing. <laughs> I think well, I think I've killed yeah. it. I've, I've destroyed it. I've, I've trampled on it, and then every year it comes back, and I can't tell you how much it makes my heart sing. And it's it's comedy that it's called a bleeding heart. Um, <laughs> you have a plant that that does that for you that you you see and instantly has a really good memory for you. Roses, in an odd way, um, purely I've got a love hate relationship with them because my. Uh, my maternal grand my my maternal grandmother they had just rose a rose garden the whole thing was a rose garden and as kids of course all we wanted to do was go out and play on the tiny bit of lawn that was there um but she would get us going out squishing the aphids with our fingers and picking all the leaves with a black spot on them and that's why i sort of got this love-hate relationship with them but of course the scent just gives me memories of my grandparents instantly um but for me, I love really wild-looking plants and also almost wild plants that come straight from the countryside. So things like digitalis or the foxglove, for me, I love. And I just love the fact that, especially in the springtime, as you mentioned, you know, you think there's nothing there, and suddenly up comes those little noses of the plant, then come the stems and the shoots, and you just think, gosh, this is incredible. Um, and I just... You know, it is the magic of nature, and I just love that. And really, any plant makes me go weak at the knees, really, because, you know, I, I love plants, and there isn't one that make, it really stands out. Well, what's funny at the moment, I've uh, last year when I was at Chelsea, um, I inherited a load of um, wildlife, wild meadow. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember speaking to you about it, and I put it all yeah. on the pathway leading to my garden. We've got, like, a shared pathway. So as it leads down... At the moment, it's slowly starting to come into its own, but it almost looks like a load of weeds at the moment. And I'm trying to sell the house. So as I walk down with like, you know, I've been in a few times when the prospective buyers have been coming down. I've had to point out, yeah. go, they're not weeds. It's it's a wild meadow, <laughs> healthy flower show. And it'll be gorgeous in like a <laughs> time. It'll be a metre high and it'll be gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. I always think actually, with, especially with meadows, people always think they're going to look beautiful right from the start and they don't. They take a good couple of years to get going. Um, but, yeah, once you've got them, I mean, lovely thing to have. Really lovely thing to have. Oh, Mark, I could talk to you forever, but we're coming to the end now. So uh, my final question that I always ask my uh, garden designer friends is, I want you to describe to me your dream space, your dream garden. If money was no object or you're plant plonked anywhere in the world, describe the dream garden to me and what you're drinking whilst you're in this garden. <laughs> um my dream garden would be probably a very lush tropical garden uh i love the whole idea of just being surrounded by large glossy leaves with really bright zingy colors to really enliven me and lift my mood um so that would be what i would say would be my ideal spot my ideal garden but then i would definitely have to have a spot in there where i can go and sit um, but for me, you know, don't get me wrong, I love a nice comfy chair and everything, but I also love rocks and I love the idea of just being able to sit on a rock surrounded by tropical lush foliage um, and just have some me time. And what would I be drinking? 
uh, either a Dog and Comfort lime and lemonade, or Classy. Classy. Old, or a or a cold beer. <laughs> oh, Mark! If people wanted to find you on socials, what's the best place for people to contact you? Yeah, you can look for me at, at Mark Lane TV on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the TV Carpenter podcast. Thank you, Wade. I love working with Mark. From the moment I met him at BBC Morning Live, we just had such fun. <laughs> He's the one when we go out drinking, having a party. He's the naughty one. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I, I won't say any more than that. Um, but who knew about Chelsea? I know it was tricky, but half a million pounds for gardens and doing the so many rigmaroles to hoops to jump through to to get down to to even get a garden um it's insane um but when you if you ever if you do get a chance to go to chelsea flower show um at the end of the month or go it's just insane stunning some of the gardens are absolutely beautiful it's amazing to see um but yeah it was lovely to chat with mark and what an amazing career like from something that you know terrible happened he's managed to turn his his life whole world around and and like he said you know his his life and outlook is you know positive but also he thinks his his life is better now than it ever has been and i just that's just testament to, to mark's personality though but um i love the power of of garden garden design and and how it can make you feel and i hope that inspired you to to tackle your own garden um but yeah i enjoyed chatting with my my dear dear friend uh, mark i hope you enjoyed that um as always again thank you to my sponsor thorndown don't forget you can get 15 percent discount putting that code the tv carpenter in their website uh, thorndown.co.uk to take full advantage of that um and remember always if you want to chat with me if you want to send me a message don't forget you can uh contact me on all my socials the tv carpenter or you can go to the tv and link through to everything from there and don't forget if you're interested in joining um my new club that i'm about to launch which is house proud club where i'll be teaching you lots of diy skills so you can create the safe practical and beautiful home there's a sign up form on my website so you'll be the first to hear all about it it's going to be launching in a few weeks time but until the next time thank you for listening to me wayne perry on the tv carpenter podcast mm-hmm.